Hello, greetings. Thanks for your interest in spiritual matters. My name's Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in Los Angeles. A lot of times when we discuss authority, we talk about authority in terms of relationships with other people. Maybe God's authority, the authority of the word, authority in the church, authority in the world, authority in the home. And this is well and good, but when we do that, sometimes we often neglect another important aspect of authority. The authority that is granted to each and every human being in the sight of God. And to this end, we do well to consider personal empowerment. That is, what authority has God given every human being, and how we know that, how much authority God has given to humans, and what they're supposed to do with it, and what limitations or guidelines exist for humans in how they exercise their personal empowerment. We do well to remember in Romans 13, verse 1, Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. The idea that whatever power exists uh, comes from God. And based on what we see in Scripture, we can say that God has created each person to reflect his image, and that each person is empowered to live and make decisions about what they will believe, feel, and in many cases do. So in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, uh, the author there says that God made mankind in his own image. After the image of God, both male and female are created. In Romans chapter 6, verses 14 through 23, uh, Paul puts it uh, maybe a little bit more dismally that we're all slaves. The question is not that we're slaves. The, the question is that we're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. In Romans 6 and verse 16, and that uh, the Christians have chosen uh, to become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 36, chapter 3, 12 through 26, chapter 13, 16 through 41, chapter 17, 22 through 31, we see Peter and Paul preaching the gospel to people. And the whole point of the gospel preaching was to have people hear what God had done in Jesus and to give them a chance to follow uh, Jesus and to become part of his people. Um, the fact that it's preached as an appeal demonstrates that there's some kind of desire for a change, that in fact uh, there's a choice that a person has when they've heard that message, what they're going to do about it. In Acts 13.45 and 17.32, along with those people who are able to choose, we see that in fact some people, for various reasons, choose not to listen. There were some Jews in Antioch, Pisidia in Acts 13 who would listen to Paul until the message also went to the Gentiles, and then they decided that they, in their jealousy, were going to oppose it. In Acts 17 and verse 32, uh, on Areopagus, there were many who heard Paul talking about Jesus and the resurrection and decided that uh, it was foolish which they had the ability to do. Although, as we will see in John 12, 47-48, Acts 17, 30-31, Romans 2, 5-11, and 14, 10-12, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7-11, through 11, uh, God makes it very clear that there is a day coming on which God will judge everyone for what they have done in the body. And the standard of judgment will be the word that Jesus has spoken. The fact that there is this judgment and that the basis of judgment throughout all these texts is uh, people's disobedience, what people have done, uh, demonstrate that people are liable for their behaviors, their thoughts, their feelings, and therefore if they're liable, it means they have some level of authority over them uh, so that they can be liable for it. The whole idea of the things that we're liable for in this world are the things that we had some authority to control, that 
uh, were not considered liable if we had no authority or empowerment to choose. And there's a po- positive way of looking at this. In 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, uh, Peter says that as each has received uh, a gift from God to use it to serve one another. And that we're supposed to be good stewards of God's varied grace. That God has made each person, and each person has something to contribute, something that they can do and are empowered to do, something that, uh, some specific sets of talents and skills and gifts which make them unique in the way that they are able to uh, encourage and help build up the body of Christ. And we're talking in very vague and general terms because uh, there might be a lot of people out there who find themselves under some form of compulsion. Um, For instance, uh, we can think of those who might be enslaved, those who at work have to follow certain codes, uh, and people who live under more repressive governments, perhaps. They may feel like they have a choice. But we, we note that when God tells us that we are going to be liable, it's not just for what we do. It's also for what we think and what we feel. And, and while people can influence our thoughts and feelings, as we can see in Matthew 5 and Galatians 5, uh, there are certain things that there's no law against and that you can't in any way, shape, or form kind of compel against. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, things of that nature. The choice not to lust, the choice uh, not to be angry uh, in certain circumstances or to let the anger dwell, and so on and so forth. Uh, So far, we do not see any ways in which evil can compel or coerce thought or feeling, and therefore all and their thoughts and feelings are able to make choice and are empowered to do so. Uh, Even with slaves in the Bible, we see in for instance, Ephesians 6, 5-9, through 9, Paul exhorts the slaves that they are to serve their masters without grumbling, uh, providing service as to the Lord, which shows that the type of service that's being rendered, that's a conscious choice of the slave, even if the types of things they're doing are beyond their control. So there's at least some level of empowerment, some level of liability, even in terms of people who are under compulsion. And really, this is the story of both Testaments, if we want to dig deeply into them. That God gives instruction to his people, and he encourages them to follow it. They decide to follow, or they decide to refuse and rebel. That God brings them under judgment for their decisions. And so we see this throughout the Old Testament with Israel. Israel, we're told, over and over again had the ability to follow God, and he would demonstrate uh, all the blessings and and, and fully loyal to covenant, and they rebelled, and God judged them. And yet God brought them back and restored them to himself. Um, And in the New Testament, we see that God is not providing the opportunity for all to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved in Jesus, and that some will do so, and some will... Most, unfortunately, according to the way we get from Matthew 7, uh, 13 and 14, will we'll go the broad way that leads to destruction. So these are how we can see that God has empowered each individual human with the capacity and the authority to make decisions regarding their thoughts, feelings, and actions. And the fact that this is even a, a very disputed, controversial point is because of the never-ending arguments that exist in Western Christianity about uh, divine sovereignty and human freedom. Uh, Augustinian Calvinism has proven very influential, especially about his views of double predestination, that God's already determined who's going to be saved and who's going to be condemned, and therefore uh, it's hard to believe that there's a whole lot of choice involved in in human affairs. 
And for most of the days that Christendom has existed, most people have believed in some level of predetermined fate. Maybe not as far as the Augustinians or the Calvinists, but you know, perhaps more than we'd be comfortable with today. And today, although, it seems that there's kind of an overreaction to fatalism, and a lot of emphasis is placed on human freedom, as if humans have very few limitations or influences, as if most of what they experience is by their own agency. And so we need to realize that you can go too far and think everything's already fixed, it's already done, and there's no room for personal autonomy or empowerment. But it's very easy to think that the only thing that is going on is personal empowerment, and that there's no other influences or powers at work beyond uh, individual agency. But there's a really big issue going on when it comes from that determinism. Augustinian Calvinism is far out in its excess. Uh, its view of divine sovereignty, it thinks, is exalted, but is actually rather dim because it doesn't appreciate the, the very nuanced understanding of, of how God exercises his authority in Scripture. But one of the ways that we see its influence is this widespread belief out there that God has some specific plan for our lives, which we need to discern somehow. And this comes directly out of this Augustinian Calvinism, because if God's sovereignty requires that every single molecule be in its proper place and be subject to God's will, then whatever happens in your life certainly is what God has already intended to have happened and is according to his will, and, and there's just no way around it. And even after uh, that kind of narrow view of God's sovereignty was questioned, and the idea of human volition accepted to a degree, uh, such an evangelicalism, the question is still remained. Does God have a plan for our lives that we need to ascertain and follow to be pleasing to him? Now, we need to be very honest here. In Romans 8, we're tr told that God has foreknowledge. Uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So yes, God knows in advance the type of things going on, uh, but the, the predestination there is not to a specific plan. It's that we would come to be saved and come to follow after Jesus. Um, if we're looking for God's plan for our life, uh, God does have a will for your life, you can say. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Uh, our sanctification, that God wants us to be holy. Now, let's be honest. If God absolutely does not want us to do a thing, it will not happen. We can have confidence in that. But nothing gives us the impression that God's sovereignty demands that we somehow have to decode God's specific purpose for us. That God grants us the liberty to choose many aspects of how we're going to live, and he exhorts us all to glorify him through those decisions. So the issue is not near as much as how exactly does God expect me to do this in terms of going to this town or doing this job or you know, being in a relationship with this person as much as how can I demonstrate holiness and how can I glorify God in this town in which I live or in this job in which I I work, or in this relationship that I am pursuing and trying to cherish. That's the big issue. And we would do a lot better to try to focus on, on that as the primary uh, way of looking at things. How can we glorify God in the things that we are to do? And to prayerfully consider the choices we ought to make in wisdom. And to be sure to uh, follow the promptings of the Spirit um, and what we see revealed in what God has made known. So that's one challenge that comes to, about personal empowerment with all these different currents in the world of Christendom. The other one involves the, the power of spiritual forces in our lives. Uh, asked in the simple question, did the devil make me do it? Uh, 
Or, perhaps in another way, did the Spirit compel me? Now, the Scriptures do speak, like in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel is being led by the Spirit, driven by the Spirit, picked up by the Spirit, that the Spirit directs him. There's also uh, information about the influence of Satan and his minions. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, 1 through 3, uh, Paul says that we all at once lived in the passions of our flesh, serving uh, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of disobedience uh, at work in the world around us. Um, so we have every reason to believe that spiritual forces absolutely influence people, but they don't compel or coerce anyone. They influence, but they don't force. People are judged for the thoughts and feelings and actions in which they participate in Romans 2, Romans 14, 2 Thessalonians. Um, Satan may do things to influence you, but if you choose to be influenced by him, uh, you will be held liable to that. Same, likewise, with the Spirit. And so we need to be very careful about that. A lot of people want to try to say, okay, well, I'm not at fault because the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do anything. The devil may have given you the idea of doing something. That's kind of what the devil likes to do. But you decided to go along with it. And that's the issue. A third challenge comes from the opposite view. Like we said, that there's an emphasis on divine determinism. Now, in a lot of places, it it's the exact opposite, as if there is no spiritual influence and humans have total agency. This comes out of the Enlightenment, the reaction against the superstitions of past days. And because of that, there are a lot of people who say, hey, there really aren't spiritual forces at work these days. Whatever happens is up to human agency. Even some who profess belief in God don't have a lot of confidence in the continuing work of spiritual forces. And yet, in Romans 8, 26-27, Paul says that the Spirit intercedes for, for Christians in prayer. In Ephesians 6 and verse 12, Paul warns us that our wrestling is not with flesh and blood. It's instead with uh, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, Peter warns us that the devil uh, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So yes, we are still at war with the spiritual forces of darkness. There are spiritual forces that wish to tempt us to evil. Uh, but the Spirit still prays to the people of God. It can strengthen us to resist the spiritual forces of evil. And so yes, spiritual forces are still absolutely at work for good and ill. And we're deluded to think otherwise. The challenge is we have all these different things circulating and swelling. And we need to get that balance. And the balance is this, that God has his purposes. The forces of evil are doing their thing, but humans must do uh, what they're going to do. Humans must make decisions. Perhaps the best way of, of looking at this is in Acts 2 and verse 23, in which uh, Peter tells the Jewish people on the day of Pentecost that Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, uh, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Uh, Peter here is very careful to say this is God's purposes because he wants it to be very clear that the resurrection is not plan B. Oops, Jesus died. Uh, that is absolutely not the point. It was, in fact, this was the way salvation was going to be secured the entire time. And so Judas was there to betray him. The Sanhedrin was there to condemn him. Herod was there to see him and then dismiss him. Pilate was there to wash his hands of him and to have him executed. What's interesting is when you read the story of the Gospels, if you hadn't read what Peter said there or known about it, you would have thought that, well, this is just what Judas is going to do, and this is what uh, Pilate's going to do, especially, and Herod. You know, everybody plays true to their character. 
And we have to remember, God is great. God is so much greater than we are. And in his foreknowledge, even in his, free, in his determination, God may put certain people in, in certain places that are going to do certain things. And those things that they're doing, it's not that God has his hand pushing down upon them. That's just what they were going to do anyway. That's their free will decision that they were going to participate in no matter what. That God there is not compelling or coercing them. They are making choices based upon the authority given them through their empowerment. And behold, the results. Another example is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Paul is speaking probably of himself that somebody has seen, you know, of the third heaven and seen uh, visions of God. And in verse 7, he's told to keep me from being too related by the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Paul prays to God, uh, Jesus to get rid of this. And Jesus said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So whatever this thorn in the flesh is, which is a source of dispute, it comes from Satan, but Jesus is using it for his purposes, for his good. So even when Satan's doing something, God is able to make it into something good for the people of God in the end. To the whole point of Romans 8, 28. So Satan is doing his thing. Paul is doing his thing. God is doing his thing. Uh, each one is empowered to do these things. They do these things. Each will be held into judgment for, for what's going on. Except for God. There's no judgment with God. Um so God has his sovereign purposes. He has foreknowledge about all these things that are going to happen. But the freedom of choice is not compared. It's very important. And thus everybody is held liable in judgment. These forces exist, but we can't blame them for what's going on with everything. We will be held responsible on the final day. All right, so we've got these spiritual forces interacting with human freedom. But what about interactions among humans? Because, hey, each person has a level of personal empowerment. And there are some people who have more authority than others in, in, in societies of men. But we've got that challenge that we remember all the way back from elementary school in the playground. He made me do it. Right? How do we have power exerted over people and who bears responsibility? And unfortunately, our language here doesn't often help us because we'd like to say, he made me do this. But really, in reality, no one makes anyone do anything. Now, to be honest, there's a lot of persuasive pressure put on people, uh, playing on fears um, of death, of violence, of all these other things, uh, to encourage people to do what they want them to do. The, uh, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse type uh, situation. But unless a person is physically constrained and physically forced to do a thing they don't want to do, there is still at least some level of choice in the circumstance. Now, there are situations where people are physically bound and forced to do things they don't want to do. Uh, but most of the time, there's some le level of persuasion. We might still call it coercion, but there's still some level of persuasion for the person to use their active agency to do a thing. A and we talk about this because we need to understand boundaries. That yes, people act on the basis of the influence of others, or in response to others, but are only very rarely forced to do what they're doing by others. And, we, and that's the idea of judgment, and that's where that judgment thing is extremely helpful, where Paul says in Romans 14, uh, Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, as it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. 
In Romans 13 and verse 17, the Hebrews author encourages the Christians who respect the authorities over them as those who will have to give an account before God. So the whole idea is that the greater the authority, it's not just the greater responsibility, it's the greater liability. That the one who has more authority will be asked to give an account for that authority that they've been given. And so this question comes to all of us. For what will I be judged before God? And so, I mean, this is going to look very different for different people. But when it comes to what somebody else is doing to me, I'm not going to be judged for what they're doing to me. I'll be judged for how I respond to them. And no matter what they may do to me, that doesn't necessarily excuse the way I respond to them. It may be understandable and natural the way I respond to them. If somebody uh, saying things to provoke me to anger and I get angry and hit them, that may be understandable, but that doesn't make it right. I have the opportunity and the possibility of, as opposed to um, hitting them or doing something else, I could still love them, show them greater patience in that circumstance. Um, we think about this in all kinds of situations. Uh, what I'm judged for is my personal responsibility. And those are the boundaries of that responsibility. Whatever anybody else is judged about is, is their responsibility and beyond my boundaries. I can't force a person to do anything else. I can't be forced to do things in, in this way. Uh, so I'm not necessarily going to be judged for their decisions, but I'm definitely going to be judged for how I encourage them, how I've uh, spoken to them, and whether or not I try to intervene in them. And that's very important. It's liberating in a very powerful way. This is why Paul says here, why do you judge one another? You know, sometimes uh, we feel like we're going to be condemned because somebody else is doing something when we've kind of stepped over the bounds there. This is actually liberating. We're not the judge, uh, and they're going to be held liable for what they're doing. We're held liable for what we're doing. Now, this doesn't mean that we just wall ourselves off and have no responsibility to others because uh, we're talking about personal liability. Okay, We're not talking about responsibility because part of our personal liability is how we've treated other people. So in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, the whole judgment scene there is, did you visit somebody in prison or see them naked and clothe them and see them hungry and feed them, give them drink if they were thirsty? If not, that's not going to be a pleasant judgment. Again, you're, you're judged for what you did or didn't do, not for the other person's circumstance for which they will come under judgment. Hebrews 10.25, the idea that we would encourage one another in the church. So we'll be held responsible whether or not we've encouraged other people, uh, whether or not they were willing to receive it or whether it did much for them uh, is perhaps a different issue. But um, we're going to be judged for how we have treated them. So yeah, no, we're not responsible for other people's decisions, but we are responsible for our influence, our form of power in their lives with our words, our example, and our behaviors. And that's a powerful influence because what we do in commission or neglect and omission is our liability. You know, and it makes it helps to explain deficient behavior, as we said, but it doesn't excuse them. So yes, we're going to be held responsible by God for what we have done ourselves, how we have influenced others, and how we have used the authority God has given us really to shepherd others. When we come down to it, wherever we're at as a, perhaps it's the uh, husband in, in, a, in a family or a parent, uh, an elder in the church, uh, somebody who's an employer, somebody in the country's government, you know, that shepherd model of leadership 
is used over and over again in Scripture and, and, and for good purposes. So this is personal empowerment. That Yeah, every single human being has authority. Everybody has some level of authority and empowerment no matter what. And such a person exists in a matrix with all kinds of influences, spiritual and human, both positive and negative. Um, all these influences are trying to persuade that person to some degree or another. But each person is held responsible for, by God for what she or he has thought, felt, said, and done. But a person's not held responsible by God for what others have thought, felt, said, and done. But since we all have influence on others through our words, example, and deeds, we will be held liable for how we have influenced others, how we've used that authority God has given us to shepherd others. And in the end, it's important to consider, what are we supposed to do with this power, right? Well, God's, God gives us this power and this trust with the hope that, in Galatians 2.20, that we no longer live for ourselves, but you know, live our lives for the Son of God who gave us, that we would surrender that power back to Him, to trust in His ways, to follow His ways, to seek to glorify Him in all things, to not make it about us and our choices and how great we are, because we're not, but instead to find ways of glorifying God in all that we do. And that's the, the message throughout Scripture, that whatever relationship we have, whatever we're trying to be about, Whatever time we have a measure of authority, it's to glorify God's purposes, to magnify God. That's not an ex the exclusion of human beings, of course. A lot of times we will use that power God has given us to help lift up the condition and station of our fellow men. But we're not doing it for our own glory. We're not doing it because, hey, we've got it all sorted out. We're doing this because we've committed ourselves to the way of Jesus and that we know that it is through him our weakness that we are strong, that our dependence upon him and allowing him to work through us is why great things can be accomplished even beyond anything we could ask or think, beyond anything we could imagine because of that great power at work within us in Ephesians three fourteen through 21. And thus may we submit ourselves to God's purposes in Christ in everything so that we can obtain the resurrection of life in him. We're so glad, again, that you've joined us. We hope that you're doing well. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, we encourage you to please follow our podcast uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, many other uh, places or on our website. Uh, if you have any questions, if you'd like to talk about anything further, if you'd like to uh, learn more about us or come visit with us, please find us online at VenetureChristChrist.org. And... If I can be of any service, please reach me at my website at deverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. I again thank you. Have a great day.